welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Daryl Finch. Oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. Turn into, if your Bible, in your Bible, New Testament, turn to Luke chapter 15. We'll get there in about 20 minutes. <clears throat> I tell you, uh, Chris did an incredible job in that series through Galatians. I'm excited. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I just feel like this is kind of just building on it. Um, listen, I, I, I just have to, the way I prepare messages is what God's doing in my life. So this morning, I'm just going to preach a sermon to you. Excuse me. I'm going to preach a sermon to me and you're going to eavesdrop. Okay. Because this, this is the whole point of, is I want you to understand, I'm right in the, I'm in an age, I just turned 65 years old. Right. I am a senior citizen on Medicare. I just have a few months left. Uh, but, but the thing that I see in, in my journey through life with Christ, I thought it would be different by now. How many of you think thought it would be different by now? I thought God would do some things. He would, I mean, I just thought, and it just seems like it's not just get, being different. It's different in a different way than I thought. Have you ever known a time when there is as much division within people in our nation and with that that's in my lifetime I've never seen the stark marked division between people. And the division I'm not just talking about politics, but I'm talking about morals and truth and common decency. Over the last 30 years something dramatic has happened in America. For 200 years prior, the foundation of our land was built on biblical Christian values. And now it seems everything has changed. Now, it may just be that we're hearing it in the media. But it's like, if you were a Christian, if you hold Christian principles, you find yourself kind of like on the outside looking in. Intimidated, marginalized, and ridiculed, even for your faith. And as this has unfolded, I find I found my own heart growing Hard, hard toward people, hard toward words, hard toward uh, things people were saying, things I was hearing. And I was, and to be honest, uh, it just kind of turned into blaming and, and, and a bitterness of saying, God, by this time I thought it would be different. God, why is it the church seems to be taking the back seat to everything that's going on? The world is now perceiving the church to be long on anger and short on mercy. To be more committed to our form of correctness than we are to compassion. And basically, I've been crying out, where's the church? And in reality, I've been saying, where are you, God? Where are you? And in my time of of prayer and meditation, I've discovered something. I discovered that I tend to have a form of godliness but deny the power of it. I tend to sometimes think that I have an understanding of God that perhaps I don't really have. So I want to ask you three questions this morning. It's just going to be one, but I had to multiply it. I want to ask you three questions. How does God, how does God feel about our world? As it is right now. How does God feel about it? The second question is, How does God feel about sinners? The third question is, how does God feel about you? 
How does God feel about us? How does God feel? You see, here's the thing. Most of us think God feels like we feel. I mean, after all, we're His. How many of you know that sometimes we only talk to those, who, to those people who agree with us? I found out something about God. He doesn't agree with me. He's not out to be an agreeing God. He's about to be a holy God, a righteous God, a loving God. So before we get to Luke 15, the whole point I'm trying to say is God took me on a journey to try to get my attention. And he's saying, Darrell, you think you know how I feel. Let me show you how I feel. Look, John chapter, it's going to be on your screen. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The most profound word in this verse for me today is not love, it's so. God loves the world so much. Now here's the thing, I don't think I love the world so much. I, I, I love God, but as you know, if I really loved God, wouldn't I have His love for what He loves? He loves the world so much that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Him, would not perish, but have eternal life. That's how God feels about the world. So, He loves it so much. That challenged me. Well, how does God feel about sinners? You know, uh, I've got an attitude towards sinners. How about you? I think they ought to change. Listen to what God says in 2 Corinthians 5.19. I'm going to specifically read it out of the Amplified. I want you to see the words in it. It was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with Himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses or sins, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation, of the restoration of favor. God is not counting up sin. How many of you count? This is the third time they did that to me. You know, I'm into counting. I, you know, God's, God is not accounting, not listing out. In life. No matter what we think about it, Corinthians tells us that God was present in Christ canceling sin, not counting it. How does God feel about sinners? He wants every sin canceled. He's paid the price. He's done it. Well, how does he feel about us? 2 Corinthians 5.20, Amplified. We are Christ's ambassadors, God making an appeal as it were through us. We as Christ's personal representatives beg you for his sake to lay hold of the divine favor now offered you and be reconciled to God. Listen to me. While we're pointing fingers, God is giving an invitation. While I'm keeping count, God is inviting. Now, here's the thing that we don't get. God is inviting through us. Well, wait a minute. If I'm pointing fingers, how can I invite? If I'm pointing out and keeping count, how can I make them feel like they're welcome? God is inviting. God is inviting through us. How's that working for us? 
So how does God feel about you? Well, I guess it depends whether you're lost and found. And that's what we're going to start this morning. We're going to start, we're going to spend the next several weeks in one chapter of the Bible. Luke chapter 15. It's called the gospel in the gospels. You, you recognize it. We think we know all about it. How many of you know it's what you learn after you knew it all that counts? Uh, these seniors that are graduating, let me tell you, they're fixing to find out they know a lot less than they thought they did. Daddies are fixing to get really smart. Mamas are going to be really good friends to graduating seniors over the next few years. God is good. Well, this morning we want to start a new series called Lost and Found. And we're going to be looking at a very familiar passage in the Gospel of Luke. But before we look at Luke 15, I want you to look at verse chapter 14, verse 34. It's going to be on the screen in the New Living. It says, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? And then he, verse 35 ends with, anyone who has ears to hear should listen and understand. I wonder this morning, do we really have ears to hear what God has to say? You see, we think we already know what he said. Okay? We already know what he said and we've interpreted it by our own means and we're going to, we're just going to keep up with what we think he said. Here, he that has ears to hear better keep listening and coming to understand. This is my prayer for us this morning, that God would give us ears to hear what he's saying today, not just what he said yesterday. Because that's what we need understanding with. Because here's the thing, God's going to guide us every step of the way. And here's the thing I also want you to hear is that God is about to change what you think about Him. Would you be willing for God to change how you think about Him? Some of you are looking at me as a critic. I don't know, preacher, you hadn't told us where you're going yet. I told you, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to me. You're just eavesdropping. So Jesus just says, he that has ears, let him hear. And then, and then he starts in chapter 15. Now I want you to look at verse 1 of chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Now what has Jesus said? He that has ears, let him hear. Guess who's drawing near to hear Jesus? Tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners are pressing in to Jesus to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. There's two groups of people at the beginning of chapter 15 that are, that are there around Jesus. One is listening and one is criticizing. One is complaining. One is trying to press in to hear what God has to say. One has become a critic of everything Jesus says. Now, this word murmuring or complaining in Scripture, it carries the idea that they weren't saying this out to Jesus. They were in the back of the crowd saying, this man, this man, this man, he welcomes sinners. He receives sinners and he eats with them. In other words, what they're saying is, I know you think what he's got to say is important, but let me tell you, he's hanging around the wrong crowd He's not right. He can't be who he says he is because he's not doing what he needs to do. He can't be who he says he is because he's not saying what we say. You see, here's the thing I found out. That we're either listening or we're a critic. 
I found out this about my own life. Most of my life, especially in the later years as I've preached for 44 years, and here's the thing I've discovered. I ceased to be a listener and became an analyzer. I analyze what everybody else says. And I run it through the filter to see if it agrees with me. Anybody else recognize that? And so here's the point. God is saying to Daryl, what if you're wrong? What if I'm different and I see things different than the filter you've been running them through? So here's the question I came up with myself. Am I a listener or am I a analyzer? When God says something to you, how many of you say, okay, but, you know, and let me tell you, whatever follows that but is what you really believe. You see, God just said something to you and you're going to analyze it and, and put conditions on it. Like, who are you? Oh, excuse me. Who am I? So Jesus has these two groups of people. Well, who are these two groups? Who's these two groups? Tax collectors and sinners. One group is pressing in to hear tax collectors and sinners. The other group is a jury deciding on the verdict of what Jesus is saying. They're the Pharisees and the scribes, which are the teachers of the law. One group is listening, one group's complaining. Tax collectors were Jews who worked for the Roman Empire collecting taxes for their countrymen, from their countrymen, often charging more than what was required, pocketing the difference and enriching themselves. Tax collectors. In our day, they would be good businessmen. <laughs> they would be good businessmen. They're looking to take care of themselves. They're looking to make it in life. So they're working for the government. So they're working for uh, the community. And, and here, they're going to make it for them. They had the privilege of getting in the position where they could not only please the Roman government, they could please their bank account. How many of you know most Americans are looking for a good deal and looking to make it? The next ones are sinners. Now, when we see, when we hear the word sinner, how many of you see a thief or a bank robber or a, a murderer or, you know, we think of notorious sinner. Let me tell you what a Pharisee saw a sinner. A Pharisee saw the sinner as the common person who didn't keep the religious rules. They were a sinner. And because they didn't keep the religious rules that were, that the Pharisees had come up with, because they didn't, they weren't interested in jumping through the hoops, but they were just living life. They were considered outsiders. They were unclean because of who they were participating with and what they were doing. They couldn't go to the temple. They couldn't worship. They were not. In fact, if a Pharisee touched one of them, they, the Pharisee became unclean. So they didn't hang around sinners and tax collectors. Now guess who's they're talking about? Gee, this man, this man. This man hangs, he receives sinners. 
It would be, let me, let me tell you, it would be like the majority of Americans today that really don't have an interest in religious things. They can't live up to our expectations. And they quit trying a long time ago. They're just not going to jump through the hoops that all the churches seem to be putting up for everybody to live by. You see, a Pharisee, here's a Pharisee. A Pharisee was a religious elite of his day. The religious elite of his day. Pharisees, they were, the word Pharisee means separatist. The Pharisee had come out of a generation that had walked through the captivity and they knew that the reason that Israel had gone into captivity is because they hadn't kept the word of God. They hadn't kept the law. And let me tell you, they had decided we're not going to go into captivity anymore while they're under Roman captivity. We're not going to be captive. We're going to keep the law. We're going to be right with God. We're going to do everything God is. So they turn the Ten Commandments into 640 rules and the 640 rules into five, 15, over 1,500 regulations. And everybody had to jump through. They become the spokesmen for God. Like a lot of pastors. I'm preaching to me. They decided what the word meant. And how it should be stated. And everybody had to agree with them. You see, that's why the Pharisees and the Sadducees had a fight. They're fighting in Scripture. They're two religious groups. And let me, it's just like where we are as churches. We, we're fighting among the thing. We're fighting among ourselves. <laughs> the Sadducees are sad, you see, because they don't believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees believe it all. We're, by, we're the people of the book. Or, uh, excuse me, people of the scrolls. Sadducees were the people of the power. But they were only talking about themselves. They wouldn't hang out with sinners and tax collectors. And they were only following Jesus around to check up on him to see if he was really... They were, the, they were Israel's social media of their day. We're going to tell you what really is happening. Are you getting a picture? And they're pointing a finger at Jesus and saying, you can't be right. And we think Luke 15, Jesus takes this and he, Jesus tells three, he tells a parable. It's a single parable with three stories. And it has a single teaching. And most of the time you've heard preaching about this story and we're going to be taking weeks to go over this in Luke chapter 15. So I invite you, read Luke 15 until God says something. And listen to what he says. And so Jesus, look at... Jesus doesn't give a direct answer to the complaint. Instead, he responds with three stories but one parable. The lost sheep the lost Cohen, and the lost son. Have you ever heard this before? You know these stories? We think we know them. Look at verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. Lost. You see, we think we know what that word means. We've been brought up in church. You know, the world is lost. But let me tell you, most of the time we put our English definition on the word lost. 
How many of you need GPS to keep from getting lost? Right? I changed mine to a man. And I got tired of a woman telling me where to go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have a natural GPS that sits beside me everywhere I go. Changing the man's name didn't help a bit. The whole man's voice. Here's, Here's the thing. I lost my train of thought. You see, we think lost is losing direction. We think lost is making a wrong turn. We think lost is, is uh, you know, in a, in a place that you never thought you'd be. Lost, according to Scripture, the Greek word is apolemi. Apolemi. It's the same word, apolemi, that... John used in chapter 3, verse 16, when he said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish. The word perish and lost are the same Greek word. So here's what I want you to understand. The first thing you've got to understand is the way God sees lostness. Lostness is not that you made a wrong turn. You didn't fulfill the goal. You missed, you know, you just messed up. Lostness means to perish. It means to be headed toward ruin. It means to be destroyed and headed for destruction. So here's the thing you've got to understand. A sheep, a sheep had no natural defense against a predator. A sheep that was lost was headed for destruction, was headed for ruination, was headed for death. A sheep could break its leg. A sheep so dumb it'll walk off a cliff like most people I know. The sheep can put itself in a position where the predators are because he doesn't even think about it. He just follows the food. The sheep. Lost. Lost. I have a good illustration of this. Connie, we, we buy fruit. She bought some apples and some bananas. Uh, I, I kind of like bananas. But how many of you know that when you buy a banana, it's green when you get it from the store? You bring it home, and in a couple of days, it has yellow and black spots on it and stuff. I try to save all the bananas I can. I eat them. But I left, I left two without salvation. <laughs> they were black. You know, here's the thing. When you buy that at the grocery store, it's already headed for ruin. It's separated from the life. It's separated from the life. Here's what you've got to understand from God's perspective. When He looks at people, He doesn't see people that's been misplaced. He doesn't see people that's taken a wrong direction. He sees people headed for destruction. For ruin. And let me tell you something. What Jesus is trying to say to both the Pharisee and the, the scribe and also the tax collector and the sinners. Let me tell you, apart from God's finding you, you're all headed for ruin and destruction. You've got to understand something. God knows that people in this world don't know. They're headed for destruction. We think we know that. We don't. I don't. You see, even though I say it and I'm preaching it to me and you, what I realize is I don't see it the way God sees it. 
In fact, here's what I would really say. I don't care the way he cares. You say, well, preacher, you're going to talk about evangelism. No, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to talk about God. Lost is not because they don't belong. Lost is because they're headed for destruction. And he says, what man of you? You know, it's understood. Jesus is saying to all of them. He's saying to this tax collectors and sinners and to the Pharisees and the scribes. It's understood that a man would value a sheep enough to leave the 99 and go after it if it's lost. The Pharisees as well as the sinner. It's common practice. It's a common thing to search out for the lost sheep until you find it. One sheep at the risk of the 99. No, one sheep that would make complete the fold of a hundred. The lost sheep was in danger of destruction. Maybe it was already destroyed. But a good shepherd would go after it until he finds it. And when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders and returns rejoicing. Look at verse 8, Luke 15. What woman, what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Now notice, one out of a hundred, I found out in the first service, that's one percent. How many, how many of you pick up pennies when you see them on the ground? Some of you, yeah, you penny pitchers. You know the penny is just as valuable as anything else when you put them enough of them together. But how many of us don't take time? Oh, it was just a penny. The whole point I'm trying to say is we think one of a hundred, you know, what's that? Well, if you're a shepherd, it's part of your flock. One of a hundred is important. But notice this, the woman, one of ten. I'm really good at math. That's 10%. And you know the third story, which we're not going to talk about this morning, but the third story that we're going to talk about is the one of two. The value keeps going up. One in a hundred, one in ten. Well, what is this one in ten? It's coins. It was a drachma. It it was probably uh, the value of a day's wage. And let me tell you, in Jesus' day, they didn't trade money like we trade money today. I mean, you pull out the bills and you pay. But that day, they traded goods and they did money for future things, for wealth. Probably this was a woman's dowry that was given to her by her father or was given to her by her husband. These coins were not going to be spent. They were for her future. They represented her glory. Some of them would make headbands out of ten stones. Some of them would put them in a bag in a place of safekeeping. Some people would, some of them would make a, a, a necklace out of them. But here's the point. One of them was gone. Lost. Her glory, part of her glory was gone. What she was banking on for her future. If the marriage didn't last, she had this to live on. It was given to her as a cup of guarantee, as a safety net, as a thing that would keep her. And one of them's gone. She would light a, light a lamp, sweep. She'd turn the house upside down to find it. 
And when she found it, look at this verse. When she found it, she would call her friends and neighbors. And I love this because both of those in the Greek are women. They're feminine. Her friends and neighbors are her other women. They knew what it was to have your glory lost. They knew what it would be like to get it back. This woman lost it and found it. She says, come rejoice with me. Now Jesus is telling us something about God. Don't miss this. Jesus is telling us something about why he's receiving sinners and why they're gathering, why it's important they hear what he's saying. He's telling us something about God. Here, God is the shepherd. God is the woman. God is the father in the next story. He's not like what we think. He's the one searching. He's the one who sees their lostness. He's the one that notices they're gone. Jesus is telling them something about God. Let me ask you a question. This just occurred to me. Do you think the sheep knew it was in danger of destruction when it nibbled its way off? Do you think the coin knew it was misplaced or in danger of ruin? Well, how does a sheep get lost? There are two points I want to make to you this morning that's very important because it's going to last the whole rest of the time of the stories. The sheep gets lost by following its desires. It eats its way lost. Understand? It wanders after its own desires. Most sheep don't know they're lost. They've just been following their desires. Let me tell you something. Most of the world doesn't know it's lost. It's just following its desires. Tax collectors, they were just following the money. Sinners, they were just trying to get through life. They were just trying to make it work. They were just following their desires. Folks, listen to, while we look out at people and we judge and we think them and we think that, you know, we, we think we have the right to tell, see, see where they're at. So, let me tell you something. They're just doing what most of us do. They're just following their desires. The sheep were eating themselves lost. I eat myself happy. I eat myself fat. I'm just talking to me. What am I saying? I'm saying that every one of us knows what it's like to be a lost sheep because we followed our desires. And let me tell you something. I didn't say this in the first service. Let me tell you, following your desire will take you to a place that you never really wanted to be and it will keep you there longer than you thought you should be and it will do more to you than you ever thought it would. Well, how's a coin lost? Now, here's the thing that I got a revelation of. The coin was lost in the darkness in the house. She sweeps and lights a light to look for it in the house. In other words, the one who thought themselves right that were in the house had their own darkness. They were lost in their own darkness, the darkness of their own thinking, the darkness of their their pride and self-righteousness. While they thought they were in the house, they were lost to the Father. The sheep gets lost by following its desires. 
the coin of great value of glory gets lost by being lost in the darkness while still in the house. The coin makes you realize it wasn't just mishandled, it, it, it was misplaced. Sometimes, let me tell you something, let me tell you, I just know for me, <laughs> Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. I've got to tell you this story, and I realize our time is going quickly. 2012, it was reported a tourist that had gone missing from a bus tour in Iceland. They organized a frantic search by more than 50 rescuers on foot and by air. And according to CBS News, it all started when a woman broke off from her tourist group and changed clothes. When she returned to the bus in a different outfit, the rest of the tour group didn't recognize her. They called for the authorities and they gave a description of the woman and began to search. The woman herself joined in. Around 3 a.m., it dawned on them that the woman they were looking for had been with them all along. The chief of police said the woman simply didn't recognize the description of herself and had no idea she was missing. <laughs> Most people don't know they're lost until they realize something is missing and they don't understand the description of themselves. How did the sheep get back to safety? Look at the story. How did he get back? The lost sheep was found. God searches for him. The shepherd searches for him and he finds him. And when he finds him, he didn't say, Okay, sheep, get your act together. Straighten up. Step up. Get on your feet. Follow me. Anybody heard that in your... Well, if you were going to follow, I mean, if, if you don't get your life right and get back in step, you, you know, you're, you're just going to stay lost. How did the sheep get back to the fold? The shepherd takes the sheep. And here's the thing, good news. The good, here's the good news. He holds your feet that you can't run away again. And he puts you on his shoulders. And it's on the shoulders of the shepherd that you are returned to the fold. How did the coin get back to the, ten, to the nine? In the hand of the woman who lit the lamp, who swept until she found it. it was in, you th- how do you think her grip was on that coin? You've got to understand, God's the searcher. God's the finder. God puts you on His shoulders. And he carries you back to the fold. The incredible news, the good news is God finds lost souls. Can you imagine what that meant to the tax collector and sinner sitting there thinking, yeah, I've wandered so far away. Is there any hope? There's one searching for you. When he finds you, he's taking you all the way back. When you're misplaced in the darkness in the house, he's telling the Pharisees, the Pharisees, you're lost in the house. You think you understand and you're living in darkness. You don't understand who God is and He's searching for you. You'll just respond to Him. You'll be rejoicing too. 
you're lost in the darkness of your own thinking. There's another part of this story that's often overlooked, and it's the joy. The theme through all three stories of this parable is the joy of finding the lost. Look at it, verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance. And when she had found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found this, the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. There's a joy. Most of us don't think of heaven about joy. We think of heaven about peace. We think about worship. We think about purity. We think about holiness. We think about falling at His feet, casting our crowns. But how many of you know that heaven is going to be the fullness of joy, unspeakable and full of glory? We don't think about that. Did you know a third of the kingdom is joy? Romans fourteen seventeen says, And the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy. We try to live life in order that we get to the place that we can enjoy it. Let me tell you, heaven is going to be the place of ultimate joy. Why? Because why does God search it out and say it's joy that He finds it? Because they were of great value to Him. You are of great value to God. And whether you realize it or not, you are already His possession. You're part of the fold. You say, well, I, I, maybe I'm lost. You're part of the fold. He's searching for you. All you have to do is respond. You're part of the glory. You may be the missing jewel that God's waiting on to be added to fulfill the glory. You see, it's not about us. It's about Him. He's a searcher. Jesus, God in the flesh, left glory and came to seek and to save the lost, the perishing. Far from excusing sin, He would pay its full price with His own life for wayward sheep and lost coins. He come that they might find Him and in finding Him find life and be brought back into harmony, fellowship, love with the Father. Nothing gives God greater joy than sinners who repent. Joy is the outcome of fulfillment. Heaven is going to be the consummate, complete, permanent, eternal, unending, undiminished joy because everything there is going to be as it should be. We are fulfilled on every front, in every duty, in every attitude, in every possession, in every relationship. Everything in heaven produces complete satisfaction, fulfillment, therefore produces perfect joy. Can you imagine... How that would have made the sinners feel. You may be common here, but you're going to be uncommon there. Can you imagine how it made the Pharisees feel? Why am I not rejoicing? How many times has sinner got what you thought they deserved? Well, it's just a matter of time. Judgment's coming. Wonder whose side that's on. 
I guess the real question is, how does it leave us feeling? You and I. You see, we're in this story. I don't know if I'm not a Pharisee, teacher of the law, that I have these high expectations and you've got to get right before you can enter in. But I really think I'm just as lost in the darkness of my own thinking. And I don't understand how God loves people like I should. This whole series is going to be recovering the heart of the Father. What's He really think? How does He really feel? And if I love Him and He loves me, why don't I feel that way? Why isn't God doing something? (laughs) What if He is? What if He's seeking? Do you know why I think He left the 99 in the wilderness? It says that He left them in the wilderness. He didn't leave them in a fold or with the gate. He left them in the wilderness. Why did God leave them in the wilderness? Why isn't Jesus coming back? Why is He leaving us in this wilderness? 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus comes walking back with that sheep on His shoulder to make the flock complete. And He ain't taking them to the fold until the flock is complete. They, Jesus ain't coming until the flock is complete. That's good news. That means there's hope for everybody. He ain't coming till the flock's complete. And He's going to bring us all into the fold. Whosoever will, whosoever believes, will have eternal life. Not willing that any should perish lost, but all should come to repentance. Adrian Rogers, family, he said, he, he quoted, a family put the following ad in the lost and found section of the paper. Lost and found. Paid money to put it there. Lost dog. Crippled in front paw. Blind in the left eye. Mange on back and neck. Tail missing. Recently neutered. Answers to the name Lucky. He's one lucky dog. Now listen to me. To have somebody who loved him enough to put it in the paper that he was looking for him. We're all lucky dogs. To be who we are and to know he loves us enough to be looking for us. To the lost, he's waiting. He's searching. To the found, he's wanting you to step into everything he has purposed and planned for you. And he's not going to quit until you do. You wander off, he's going to go over and pick you up and take you back. 
Why? Because he wants the very full purpose of God in your life. You are one lucky dog. Blessed beyond measure. Because you have a God who ain't quitting. I don't care how it looks. I don't care what anybody says. He ain't quitting. He ain't quitting. He's not quitting on the lost. He's not quitting on the found. He's not quitting on you. So why don't you just say yes? Won't you just let him put him on your shoulder? Let him put you on his shoulders. Won't you let him carry you back into the fullness of what he's promised? Would you stand together with me? Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that revelation would impact our thinking and that we would see you as you are and not as we've perceived you to be. Father, thank you that you never give up. You never give up. You never step aside. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. You're searching for us until we are still right in the fullness of what you purposed and planned. I pray, Lord, right now that if there's anyone here that knows they're the tax collector and sinner, they're just, they just don't want to jump through. They just don't want, and, and you've made them know that you're not going to quit until, you, until they say yes. Something's missing, and it's you. And, Lord, there's many of us. Forgive us. Because we've been thinking something about you that hadn't been true. We've been in the darkness of our own house. Lost to your search. Lord, I don't want to miss a thing you have purposed and planned. I'm old, but I'm not through. I'm going to listen to you. And I'm going to come to understand. Whatever you need this morning, I want you to know that Jesus is that answer. There's ministry teams on either side of the worship center this morning that would love to pray with you. They would love to just invite the Lord to pour out on you the fullness of all that He's up to. I want to invite you to respond to Him. If you don't know Jesus, let me tell you, there's no better day than today to know Jesus. But here's the thing. Know that He's searching. He's not just looking for you. He's looking for everybody. Because He canceled out through Christ every sin that held anybody back from knowing Him. Would you respond? Father, in the name of Jesus, we speak your love and grace over this congregation. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Find us, God. Find us. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information or to listen to past sermons, go to newcovenantlampasses.com.